0: And now we're going to go deeper into this concept of dreaming again genesis chapter 11 was one of the key scriptures that i used and in genesis chapter 11 it's very powerful what we see there because we see these guys building the tower of babel remember the tower of babel and it's interesting because god looks and he knows the wickedness of their hearts and he says nothing that these guys plan to do some translations say imagine to do will be denied them because they are one voice they're in unity and God's God ends up scattering these people and that is the power of the imagination and I shared with you that when you dream you dream with your imagination don't you You dream with the imagination, and your imagination is a part of your soul. And very often we've heard it taught that the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions, but it's more than that. The soul is also the intellect and the imagination. And God has given us a soul, and in that soul we have our imagination, and we need to use our imagination because that's how we co-create on the earth with God. Amen. And so we covered a lot of powerful things and a quote which I really like by Paul J. May: I said to you, what you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. That's faith, isn't it? And you know what I'm realizing? In the new age movement, people are being taught This kind of thing. People who don't know Jesus are being taught the power of visualization. And yet the sad thing is, as Christians, we should be the ones in the forefront of teaching these principles. Because that's what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I do only what I see my Father doing. What are you seeing God doing? What's your vision right now? When you come to me and you say, I'm really worried, you're visualizing something. I mentioned to you that if you say, I'm worried about what my boss is going to say to me tomorrow. I can tell you right now, you're visualizing your boss looking down on you, blaming you. If they're shorter than you, looking up to you, blaming you. If they're shorter than you, but wear stilettos, looking, blaming you. But there's something that you can see. So when we teach on visualization, some people are like, ooh, this is freaky stuff. But everyone does it they just do it in reverse they visualize themselves going backwards when you worry you're visualizing the negative when you worry you're visualizing the enemy's plan over your life i don't know about you but there's a battle for our minds there's a battle for our minds and some christians their minds have been besieged by the enemy and god is taking us to a place in this hour and in this season where he's taking back our minds where he has mind share where we begin to think his thoughts where we are burdened by the things that burden him and i believe that we're in a season where he wants us to co-create with him by imagining what he is saying you see very often god can speak to you but do you put a visual to it see very often god can give you a prophetic word and can say this is what's going to happen in your life but you play the video of it how many of you that we remember in pictures not in words if I say to you oh I used the how train the other week you don't think g-a-u-t-r-a-i-n what do you think you visualize the how train so when God speaks to you a prophetic word I want to encourage you to translate it to a picture translate it into a picture and make sure that picture becomes vivid and carry that picture in your heart and be like Jesus who used his imagination? You see, when Jesus said, I do only what I see my father doing, Jesus knew the father. There were things he did with the father before he came down onto the earth. How many of you have had experiences where you're overseas or you at some function or some, something exciting, but you're by yourself there? And you're trying to enjoy yourself, and one of the ways you end up enjoying yourself is imagining if a loved one was there with you. How many of you do that? I know that if I travel somewhere, sometimes I literally am having a conversation with some people, and I'm imagining that if my wife was there next to me, what would she be saying? How many of you do that? (laughs) All the hubbies who want to score points with their wives, this is an opportunity to just say, yes! Mm -hmm!" And then make sure you're telling the truth because they're going to ask you for details later. (laughs) And I believe that when Jesus would say, I do only what I see my father doing, there are multiple dimensions there. I believe that he would use his imagination and say, well, what would the father do in this situation? I can see the father doing this. I believe part of it was the prophetic dimension where he would actually see the father doing certain things and he would also do what he saw the father doing. Question, what is the father doing in your life right now? What is the father doing in this church right now? What is the father doing in your business right now? What, is, what are the acts of God in your life right now? I don't know about you, but I don't want to meditate on the enemy's strategy over this church, over my life, over my business. I don't want that. I want to focus on what God is doing and what God is saying. One of the other powerful scriptures that I took you to was Ephesians 3, verse 20. And for me, that's a powerful scripture because it says that he will give you more than you can ever ask for or imagine. And remember, I said to you, it's not just about the asking. We've emphasized in Christendom how to ask. And so we know how to pray. But he says, he will give us more than we can ever ask or? So what happens if you're not imagining? Because says is you'll give you more than you imagining But the starting point is you need to be using your imagination God has given us our imagination as a gift and you see many people came from a background in the world where they Suppressed their imagination why because you then become a Christian and what happens like don't think those thoughts don't think those thoughts Don't think those thoughts those thoughts are bad. Those thoughts are bad. Those thoughts are evil. Those thoughts are evil and what you do is you squash your imagination There's what's called the psychology of thought suppression you can't really suppress your thoughts and i say it again you can't suppress your thoughts you displace your thoughts and in scripture we call that renewing the mind how do you renew the mind you renew the mind by getting into the word and using the word and displacing your old patterns of thinking with new patterns based on the word so instead of going around saying I don't have a bad temper. I don't have a bad temper. I don't have a bad temper. Begin to say, I'm learning to be patient with slower brothers and sisters. Amen? (laughs) You're applying the word of God, the truth of the word of God. You're displacing negative thinking with the good stuff from scripture. Are you hearing me this morning? We have to use our imagination. And so as we go deeper, we would see, for example, last um, time I spoke on this, I started to give you four steps. And I said, the first step in dreaming, again with God, in redreaming, first step is understand that God uses the imagination to co-create with him. Point number two was, see what God is doing. See what God is doing. What are the activities of God and talk about those. Don't talk too much about the devil's activities. Number three, keep your heart whole and pure. Remember we said that the imagination is from the heart and we went to scriptures that spoke about how God was concerned about the imaginations of their hearts. So we have to keep our hearts whole and pure. And then number four was know that you're chosen, loved, and special. Remember that. And I used the example of Jose Mourinho who in about 2004 gave himself uh, the description, the special one. Go and look it up on youtube and you'll see when he actually called himself that and i believe that very often when you have the revelation that you are chosen that you are special you begin to do special things didn't quite work out yesterday but you begin to do special things amen everything begins with your identity when the angel of the lord spoke to um the, the what do we call him what is gideon a warrior okay reformer when the angel of the lord spoke to him he says rise up mighty warrior go and deal with the Midianites. and what did gideon say he says but how can i be i'm the least in my family and the angel of the lord said am i not sending you so the thing that is important to know is that you are chosen is that you are special the fact that you're the least in your family is irrelevant amen and that was in judges six from what i remember Now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Are you ready for step number five? Step number five, get rid of your destiny thieves. Get rid of your destiny thieves. Michael calls these dream killers. The things that will kill your dream. You see when you study success it's been found academically, academic studies have been done on people who become successful and one of their common denominators is that they know what the barriers to their success are, what those barriers are and they create steps to overcome those barriers. My question to you this morning is what are your destiny thieves? What are the things that are going to rob you of your destiny? It's so important that we come to a place when we're o- where we're open and we're honest about these things. Are you ready to hear some of them? I've highlighted some of them in the past, but let me go deeper into them. The first is negative people. Those people that will always say, no, that won't work. Those people will come to you. You're so confident you join that new workplace and you say I want to connect with that person I want the CEO to be my mentor and they say oh, I don't think he's got time for people like you. Oh He's very busy You must say to those individuals your story doesn't have to be my story You see the problem is many of us are making other people's stories our story Oh, no, Uh, if you're a foreigner in this country, that's impossible. You can't do that. Some of us have. Oh, no, if you're as a foreigner, how do you find it? It didn't even cross my mind because it wasn't going to be a limitation. You begin to name drop, and when you name drop, you name drop the name of Jesus. (laughs) Many people today, Michael is excited because it's caught on. I'm going to popularize it, Michael Okay, you embrace it, you embrace the name of Jesus. You see, when people come to you that are negative, it's so important to have resilience. Resilience is the ability to block out the naysayers. How many of you watch English Premier League soccer? How come it's mainly people sitting there? Do soccer people just sort of sit like halfway back, no one in the front? All right. No? of course. Right. Now, what do they say, what do they do to your favorite star when he's playing at his former home ground? What do they do? They boo him. But isn't it wonderful when you see him still dribble through everyone and score despite the booing? When we talk about being resilient as a person, the definition I like of resilience is the ability of someone or something to return to its original form after having been stretched. And many of you today are being stretched. You're being stretched by negativity around you, but are you able to block it out? You're being stretched by difficulties, calamities around you, but are you able to actually block it out? You're being stretched by negative people around you, but are you able to block out the naysayers, the people who are speaking to you the devil's reports? The people who are trying to nullify the very thing God has spoken to you when you are in the closet in prayer. You see, resilience, we talk about resilience when we're talking about health, don't we? And we say, my son survived winter without catching the flu. We talk about resilience, right? We say, he's so resilient. Come on, how many health people here? Please help me. Say amen so I feel like I'm, you know. Thanks, I was meaning the health people because some of you might say amen and then we might all be like the blind leading the blind Who are the health people? Okay, right? So it's interesting. You would say that My child was very resilient because he didn't catch the flu. My question to you is how much flu are you catching when you're at work? When you go to the workplace when you go to school those of you at university or college wherever you are How much flu are you catching? I'm speaking metaphorically I'm saying when you walk into a room, how often is it that people are being negative and you walk in and you catch their negativity? I know what it's like. One of the reasons people resist change in the workplace and even in church is peer pressure. You know, some people, they're fine when they're by themselves. We've seen it as pastors. Where almost everyone, 100% of the people in this congregation who've been in this congregation in the past, when you're one on one with them, The person is just, oh, everything is pastor. Oh, man. Oh. Oh. But have you noticed what happens when people get into a group? Groupthink. So, one of the biggest dream killers, one of the biggest destiny thieves is negative people. Someone once said to me, I was coaching this individual, and they said to me, Paul, what do I do? The people in my team, I always have lunch with them, but they're very negative. What do I do? I said, "Um, well, change the direction of the conversation. That's one option. Change the direction of the conversation. Shape the conversation. So often as Christians, we want to change the world, but we can't change the direction of a conversation. And I said, if that doesn't work, then stop having lunch with them. One of the ways you actually kill your brand in the workplace is being overly associated with a particular in-group. One of the ways you enlarge your influence in society is actually associating with various people because the brand of the team that you're a part of can kill your personal brand. I remember someone saying, that is so true, you know, there was a team we had blacklisted. I don't know if they use that term, but you know sometimes you blacklist a group of people? right and then this person came and joined us from that team and they were now part of our team but we, t- we still don't trust the individual because they came from that particular place their, p- their individual brand was not strong enough to boost them through the team brand some of you know what I'm talking about some of you know that you've been associated with certain groups of negative people and everyone just paints you with the same brush why because you are no-name brand How many of you know that? Mm -hmm. A lot of Christians are no-name brands. How many of you know that Jesus, what did he say? You know what? The scripture tells us that we bear Christ's name. We bear Christ's name. We bear Christ's name. That's That's a massive brand. Negative people. The second, destiny thief. Inner vows that we've made. The Bible tells us that the tongue is a rudder in the book of James. In other words, what does a rudder do? It directs your path, doesn't it? The tongue is a rudder. And you see what happens is we think that we're shaped by other people's words, and that's true, but our lives are shaped by our interpretation of those words and the amount of times we rehearse what other people have said. You see, if someone comes to me and says, Paul, you're stupid, I can reframe that and say, sure, I really feel for you. Like, why would you think I'm stupid? Sure, you must be going through stuff. And those words don't affect me. The thing that pains you, the thing that pains you is when you take those words and you rehearse them and you put your spice, your Tabasco, your tomato sauce, come on, help me the spice people. Doesn't necessarily, why am I just looking at an Indian person? Well, it doesn't have to be an Indian person. Come on, help me the spice people. When Emily and Sunera came to the church a number of years ago, they had to correct me because they came, we were at Miracle Park, and they walked in together, and I see them walking in halfway through praise and worship, and afterwards I'm like, trying to, you know, you know our pastors are like, oh, um, we, we really like Indian people, you know, you guys are really wonderful, and, so and I was meaning it, and then they, they, they corrected me, we became friends and so on, they say, first of all, there's Indian And there's Indian, Indian. Not all Indians are the same. (laughs) It's like, okay. Anyway, so their inner vows. I remember meeting someone recently, and I might have shared this with you, where they made an inner vow, where they, they were ridiculed by their father. There was a sense of embarrassment, a sense of shame when they were young growing up. And they made a vow that I'll never put myself in a position to be embarrassed again. This person is now about 68 years of age, but they made that as an inner vow. I would never put myself at risk when it comes to embarrassment, failure, or shame. So the the path their life took was they were now always in the background, and they spiritualized it. I said to them, yeah, it's true, and as Christians, we then spiritualize it. And he says, yes. I said, I am the background person, that's me. I'm the one who just serves from the background, and it sounds humble. And it's good if that's what you're called to, but this individual wasn't called to be in the background. And they realized that their whole life had been shaped by this until at a certain point they were set free. My question to you is, what inner vows have you made that are shaping your life right now? Some of these inner vows could be things like, you were hurt, you were abused as you were growing up by the opposite sex, and you said, never again. I will never fall in love. It only leads to hurt. And here's the scary thing. I do lots of marriage counseling. This is what ends up happening. You can get married, but still be guarded. You can get married, but still never make yourself vulnerable. Are you hearing me? You'll see many spouses, they'll be traveling somewhere, going somewhere, and they'll say to their spouse, I want you to do A, B, C, D. Can you do this and this and this for me? And the husband might just say, no, I don't really feel like it. I've got something else. But when you ask more than two questions deep, why did you want me to do that? If they're honest and they make themselves vulnerable, they'll say, it's because I'm really missing you and I wanted to be together with you while we do this together. Why couldn't you make yourself vulnerable and say, honey, I'm missing you. I wish we could have more couch time. Honey, I'm missing you. Can we do this errand together? Couldn't make yourself vulnerable. Are you hearing me this morning? It's an inner vow that robs you of the very thing that you long for in your relationship. Here's the thing. You cannot get to a place of emotional intimacy with another person without vulnerability. If you think of your best friendships, there's vulnerability. Just think about it. There's vulnerability. If you think of the best mentorship relationships, it's not when people put their best foot forward. It's when people are willing to make themselves vulnerable. I say it when I'm pastoring people, when I'm counseling people. There's there's nothing I haven't seen. I've seen so many variations in the world, in the church. So whatever you say to me, it's not going to shock me. That's what I say to people, to help them to come to a place of vulnerability. Are you hearing me this morning? If you don't break those inner vows, you'll rob yourself of that dream you have, particularly when it comes to certain relationships and in terms of your destiny. You'll rob yourself. What vow have you made? I'll never do business with that group of people, those type of people. You can't trust them. So you have one traumatic experience with someone from that people group. And then you do what we call transference. You transfer that onto everyone around you who's of that same ethnic group. And then God opens doors for you. You've been praying, God open doors, open doors. He opens doors for you. And the very people he sends into your life to bless you are from that group of people. It could be gender. So it could be guys. It could be... People from a particular tribe that you don't like. And you're still praying for your breakthrough and God is saying, I've put it before you on a silver platter. But because of that inner vow, like, uh uh-uh. So those people from that group come to you, wonderful people, and you find very subtly and subconsciously very often, you reject them. You reject them it never works out why that's the thing you've prophesied million a million times over in your life that with those people it will not work and guess how your life goes as your words that you speak so your life goes amen, amen. the third destiny thief never translating your dream into a goal with an action plan. For a lot of people, that's their case. It's wishful thinking. If someone comes to me and says, I want to lose weight, <laughs> that's a wish. You see, many of us are good dreamers, but we don't know how to translate those dreams into action. So they never happen. I want to share the story of the guys who were interviewed way back in about 1950 graduate class in the United States I think it was and they were asked the question how many of you have dreams that are written down goals that are written down with an action plan only three hands went up from that entire graduate class only three hands went up 20 years later those guys were interviewed asked about their lives and what is their response those three who had written down their goals with action plans, were generally happier and more fulfilled than the others. And you say to me, but Paul, how do you measure happiness? How do you measure fulfillment? It's so subjective. You can measure net worth. The net worth of those three who had written down their goals with action plans was greater than the combined net worth of the balance of the class. How do you explain that? What do you want? What do you desire? What has God placed on your heart? Don't think it's being spiritual. Just saying, ah, whatever God wants, we'll see. That's called passivity. That's called fatalism. And it's not biblical. Don't think you are holy by just saying, ah, we'll see, whatever God wants. No. Find out the will of God for your life. Take hold of that will and begin to declare it and begin to decree it. And where God has given you space to fill in the blanks, then fill in the blank. Because God will say to you, I want you to go to Pretoria East and to establish a great church. But guess what? He, he in certain instances, will then say, here's the paintbrush, here's the canvas. Begin to paint a picture. And supernaturally, he places certain desires, in this case in Michael's heart. He places desires in your heart. That you think are your own, but because he's wired you that way, they're from him. And don't think that just because you enjoy doing something, it's evil. There's certain Christians who struggle experiencing pleasure. So they feel guilty if they enjoy a particular sport. Because of a religious mindset that says life is not supposed to be enjoyed. But that's anti-biblical. The Bible tells us that He's given us all things together for our enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy your family. He wants you to enjoy your business. He wants you, newsflash, to enjoy church. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing someone saying, "I am trying, Mufundisi. I am trying to enjoy it." <laughs> guys translate your dreams into goals and action plans if you study the life of paul the apostle he says that hey you know what my yes is yes my no is no he says when i commit to do something i do it i follow through he says that i want to take hold of that for which christ took a hold of me what was that he was goal oriented What do you want to do next year? What do you want to do in the next five years? Dream with God. Use your imagination. When I teach this to groups in corporates and so on, some of these principles, people say to me, we need to take this to the high schools. People need to learn this from a young age. Then people begin to confess and say, I only realized my life purpose when I was in my 30s. It's never too late. Amen? Amen? Master Celia, it's never too late. She's also, she's also the birthday girl. Okay? She's born a day after me. Not in terms of the actual year she was born, but although she looks like <laughs> it, I know. She's born on the 8th. And whenever I hear your beautiful alto coming through, i like, what are you doing there? Yo. Oh. Lovely. The fourth one the fourth dream killer, the fourth destiny thief, inner conflicts. Inner conflicts. There's a powerful word used in scripture and it's the word peace. And when you look in the Greek, it's the word Irene. Irene, that's where we get Irene, the, the name Irene from. And one of its meanings is being at one with, being, it's talking about oneness. And when you're divided, what we call the divided self, You're not at peace, you're anxious. And one of the causes of anxiety is inner conflict, And so you find that in scripture we're told, in the book of James, that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and should not expect to receive anything from God so what we see happening with a lot of christians they've got inner conflicts so they're praying saying god give me this breakthrough lord i want to start a business and this business needs to be really big lord but no but yeah it's okay yeah but lord if you want it just to be enough money for me and my family to survive that's also okay and god is now so what do you want you're saying a really big business but just enough for you to survive that's how many christians pray if you study the technology of answered prayer you must be clear That's why Jesus would keep going to guys and say, what do you want me to do for you? Before he healed them. And very often, you see what happens is when you're praying for the sick, the miracle ends up being at the level in which the person is expecting. You know, sometimes you want to pray for someone and they just say, can you just pray that I'm more comfortable? Because of my back problems, I just need to be a bit more comfortable and be able to move around a bit easier. Do you want to just be comfortable or do you want complete healing? What are some of the inner conflicts people go through? Inner conflict number one, the me-me conflicts. I've shared with some of the team, the me-me conflicts. What's a me-me conflict? It's where you want to do something based on your identity, based on how you've defined yourself to be. But then there's something happening in your environment where there's pressure to not be that. So let me give you an example. Some years ago, a colleague of mine said, Paul, I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation with a friend of mine. Because when we go out together, I'm the one who typically has been paying over the last few weeks. In the past, we used to take it in turns. But the last three times we've been out together, I have had to pay. How many of you have been in that situation? Well, how many of you are the one who's, yeah. Right? Who's the, who the, who's the victim? <laughs> okay. Right? And she said, Paul, I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation with this friend of mine. I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation with this friend of mine because I see myself as a generous person. Can you see where the me-me conflict is? Your self-concept is saying, I'm generous. But now, in dealing with this individual, I now have to say, but wait a minute, you can also chip in a little bit. There's the risk, isn't there? There's the risk that my friend will turn around and say, you mean you count? Each time you pay for me, you are counting. Okay? Can you see what's happening? And for many of you, you have those experiences. So we say, we need to invite people to church. We need to reach the lost. We need to evangelize. And what do you hear Christians saying? Yeah, pastor, I just didn't want to come across like I'm holier than thou. Yeah, because some Christians, they come across like they're holier than thou. Now what's, what's that got to do with reaching the lost? Because when you reach the lost, you're saying, hey... I was a sinner, Christ saved me. That's the good news. I'm saved by grace. You're not going in a holier than thou fashion. So there's a me me conflict people experience. Whatever me me conflicts you're experiencing will hinder your destiny because you'll find that you're confused when it comes to prayer. You're saying, God, I want a breakthrough, but I don't want to be greedy, Lord, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be greedy like all these other people in Gauteng. God, I really want this breakthrough. I really need more cash. But you know, there's this mammon thing and there's the spirit of greed. Deal with the greed. But pray for the breakthrough. It's two separate issues. Then there's the me-work conflict. And there's a strong internal conflict. This is where there's conflict between you and the job you're currently doing. I've had people come to me and say, I'm working at such and such a place, but to be honest with you, I'm struggling with the value systems there. Can you see what happens? So when we pray for you, do we pray for breakthrough, for promotion, or do we pray that you leave and find another job? Ah, but I'm not sure, but I like my security. But they also have got good perks and eh, the employee benefits. Eh, but I struggle with the values. How do we pray for your promotion? Because you want a promotion, but at the same time what you're declaring is that you struggle with the values. So there's a conflict between you and your work. Then there's the me-you conflicts. And that's the conflicts we have with each other. The Bible tells us that when we come to God in prayer, we must first do what? We must first? You can say it loud, we won't uh, judge you if you get the answer wrong. When you come to God in prayer, you must first forgive. That's so important. Often when I'm in prayer, sometimes I'll have an issue with someone or something that's rising up, Immediately I realized that wait a minute, you can't be in prayer and you're carrying this issue. You need to actually let go. A lot of the times our prayers are not answered, and it's important to study it because a lot of our prayers are not answered. So instead of just saying, Ah, sometimes he answers, sometimes he doesn't. No, figure out why. If you look in scripture, there are a lot of reasons why certain prayers go unanswered. I think it's something we need to teach sometime, right? Delays to answered prayer. There are certain reasons. And one of them is conflict. One of them is where we go before the throne of God. Not in the spirit of intercession, but in the spirit of accusation. Are you following? Sometimes you can go before God in the spirit not of intercession, but of accusation. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. So, some people are helping the devil. Christians, we've got access to the throne of God, but very often we use it for accusation, not for intercession. I like this next one. So, those are inner conflicts. Please deal with your inner conflicts. That colleague of mine had to come to a place in her life where she said, I'm actually a generous person, but a generous person with boundaries. it's fine then you're generous but with boundaries oh I desire to become wealthy so that I can be a blessing in the kingdom that's my primary motivation I'm a kingdom business person and that's okay I'm not full of greed and the moment greed begins to surface I'll ask God just like King David did Lord search my heart and see if there's any wicked way within me Amen? amen when you push through those barriers amazing what ends up happening. Some of you have been stuck in your lives because of inner conflicts. Are you hearing me? Okay. Number five. I like this one. Age. Age is a big destiny thief. It's that mindset that says it's too late to start. It's too late to start. God wants to free us from that. I used to be told, no Paul, you're too young to do such and such. Now I'm told, Paul, you're too old to do such and such. When was I ever the right age? There is no set age in God. Very often God isn't like, when you turn this age, therefore I want to do this. No. When God looks at it, he's looking at your maturity. He's looking at your gifting. He's looking at whether you've passed certain tests. You see, we are so used to the education system where when you're a certain age, you do grade one, certain age, you do grade two. You know, where your development is based on your chronological age, your biological age. But with God, it's not like that. With God, it's like, you know those homeschooling systems where you work with paces, and it's up to you. You can just keep going. And then you have this person who's a five-year-old but doing like grade three stuff. There's some of you, you became a Christian yesterday or a year ago. And God wants to use you to do great things because you've been fast-tracked and you've been obedient in the tests that you're going through. Then there's some of you who've been Christians for years but you're going around that same mountain over and over again. Repeating. It's like when someone has to keep repeating certain years. Amen? Don't know about you but I don't want to be repeating stuff. How many of you have been there? How many of you identify with what I'm saying? That age has become a limitation for you where you kind of feel like it's too late to start. Just raise your hand. Okay? Okay. In whatever area it is, I want to I challenge you. Says who? Who said that? Hey, Mojo. It's Mojo Hey, How are you doing? Cool. Who says that? Who says that you're too old? Andrea Bocelli? Who knows Andrea Bocelli? The great tenor. You know that although he has loved music all his life, he did not start singing opera seriously until the age of 34. Some so-called experts had told him that it was too late to begin. How many of you love jazz? Okay, so you would know Al Jarreau. You know that um, someone, someone once said, and I sort of did my own research on this, But, and and it concurs, he only did his first album in his late 30s. Did you guys know that? He's now about 76, but his first album is late 30s. The research I did said 38. But then I looked at some of his albums and saw and worked out that he seemed to be about 35. Okay? But from a particular book says 38. Some of you are musicians here and you're thinking, no, but if I didn't have my break in my 20s, then it's too late. Says who? My mother-in-law, my wife's mom. It's amazing when I think of her story. They ran a transport business in Zim for about 25 to 30 years. They were in transport, specifically transport. She's a bean counter, she's an accountant, okay? when they moved to South Africa, they live in Joburg, when they moved to South Africa in about, in 2008, right, 2008, 2009, around there, she spoke to her daughters because they said, what do you want, mom, for your birthday present? And she said, can you send me to do pottery classes? I want pottery lessons. So I think they chipped in, I don't quite remember how it worked, and she started having pottery lessons. After about 18 months of those pottery classes, The lady who was running it had to then move to Cape Town. And because my mother-in-law was faithful and diligent, this lady then said, do you want to take over the studio and start running pottery lessons? So she was like, okay, I'm game. And she started to upskill herself and she still upskills herself. Recently, she was asked if she can go to the regionals, okay, the provincials, like put her stuff there to be viewed, all right? She makes amazing things, Bev Wild ceramics, if you want to look it up. Bev wild ceramics. Right? This is someone in his 60s who has a bean counter crossing over. This you can see it. If you come to my house after church, you'll see this. Right? Look at that. Right? My wife likes zebra, as you can see. Okay. Likes I'm black, she's one, you know. Right? But she does like zebra salt and pepper can you see there the salt the pepper beautiful isn't it this is someone in the 60s who just decided you know what yes I was an accountant but I just have always loved painting arts and so on I understand that they'll be coming through uh, soon to do some this coming week to do murals painting in the ch- children's um, the, the walls the new painting on the walls doing that You see, sometimes we've got this thing, you cannot teach an old dog new tricks, but guess what? You can remind an old dog or educate an old dog of tools and skills and gifts that they've always had, but we're not aware of them. Some of you, God has given you gifts that have been lying dormant all these years. And maybe in your 30s, 40s, 50s, all of a sudden say, oh, I can do this? There was a lady a husband I think he had been in the military then he decides to become a dentist and then she was working for him this is the wife was working and she was like the PA receptionist person right this is uh, this is. she was 55 at the time someone comes in she greets the person hi 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 the guy comes a year later and she's not even aware of it and she just says um, hi Tracy nyamuda, or hi Sunera Roberts, says the person's name. She just had this gift of remembering names and she wasn't fully aware of it. She had only met the person once a year ago and just came. What gifts are lying dormant in you that need to be awakened? You see, for some of you you just haven't had the opportunity or the platform to shine in those areas. May God reveal it to you. How many of you are familiar with KFC? <laughs> I know some of you are too familiar with KFC. Right? <laughs> the guy who started it, Harlan Sanders, you know the Colonel Sanders of KFC. A lot of people aren't aware that he was actually 66 when that brand started, when he created that brand. 66. And some people will think, ah oh, no, he must have had a background in food, in the food industry. No. He was involved in all sorts of other things he was uh, first a farmer then he was a steamboat pilot (laughs) and then later he was an insurance salesman you see we've got this thing that the thing God has called me to do in this season of my life must be somehow related to something I was doing years ago now often it works out that way but very often it doesn't because there's such a mixture God places in each person because each person here is unique Let's begin to dream. If I think of my wonderful wife over here concerning dreams and things she did, she only started, I have to be careful, I'm not allowed to talk about her age in public now. Uh, How can I get around this one, guys? Saints help me, saints help me. Okay, she only started cello properly and seriously when she was 31. A decade ago, okay? (laughs) (laughs) okay as as a mom and that was when she was I think she was pregnant with she was about to have um, Samuel she was about to have Samuel and she had Samuel she said oh I like the cello let me have serious lessons and she started having lessons with a lady called Polina one of the best cellists on the continent Russian lady based in Pretoria and within no time within a number of years she was in grade six cello are you hearing what I'm saying She could have just said, oh, my first instrument is piano, I'm going to just do piano. But for her, with the type of drive she has, she thought, I love the sound of the cello. I would love to be able to play it. The fact that she was starting to have babies wasn't an issue for her. Amen? And I would see her day in, day out, practicing for those exams. Some of you don't know how to play musical instruments, but you're naturals. You just didn't have the opportunity. And you've said to yourself, "Ah, no, I've got an un- I have I've got an unfair disadvantage because I didn't start as a child." It's never too late. We've got we've got music teachers here who I'm sure agree with me. Am I, Is that accurate, Mahta? Cool, thank you. Right. It's never too late. Why not? The sixth dream killer. The sixth thief of our destiny is having a biased time perspective, biased time perspective. A lot of people are not familiar with the psychology of time, and I want to share this with you. You see, you can either dwell on past negative, so there's some people who dwell on the past, but some particularly focus on the negative things of the past. They did this to me. They treated me bad, real bad. Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. I'm a, I'm, no, 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 I know you said you've seen it all, but I'm a special case. And they literally dwell on the past negative. Guys, that's a bias. Because when you look in scripture, we're supposed to focus on remembering. But when we remember, we remember the goodness of God. You can have two people with the same bad experience, but if one of them is focused on past negative and one of them is focused on past positive, it's, it's amazing how that affects their emotional well-being. This is for someone. This is very powerful, this issue of the psychology of time. You see, when you're focused on past negative, you know what ends up happening? It's been found that there's a correlation between that And depression, anger, and anxiety. You see, what do angry people do? They ruminate, right? They keep mulling over what happened. They did this to me, they did this to me. They did this to me, they did this to me. They did this to me, and they really, really did this to me. And what happens is that one experience, you end up reliving and reliving and reliving. So it's like the trauma is happening a thousand times over. That's past negative when they actually counsel people who tend to have a bias towards past negative they actually literally have to shift them from past negative to enjoying the moment embracing life right now it helps them now there's a place for past negative there's a place for it Otherwise, you have some people who keep going into an abusive situation and you say, but you're doing it again, but it's the same guy. But didn't you remember what he did to you last year? (laughs) So sometimes we also have to remember certain things like, oh, be careful of that person. Amen? Then we have past positive You see, you can say, those were the good old days. These are the values my parents brought me up with. Oh, I really learned a lot in those days. Oh, I love the way we grew up together, guys. And remember how we would fellowship and how we would talk. And remember that revival. It was amazing. And we used to pray, oh, with my grandmother. That's healthy. Nothing wrong with that. But don't resist what God wants to do in and through you now because you're dwelling so much on past positive Amen. Yeah. Remember how Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. I think Michael preached on that quite recently. he spoke to the woman at the well and she got religious on him, didn't she? And she's saying, But our father, Jacob, this is Jacob's well, and this used to happen, and this used to happen. And sometimes people will dwell on past positive to compensate for the stuff they're not doing today. You know those people you bump into them and they're saying, Yeah, no, yeah, we used to be at that university and the revival day. Meanwhile, the guy is busy doing dubious stuff today, but he still lives back in 78. Ooh, the revival in 78. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, if we want to dream accurately, our time bias needs to be healthy. Because if you dwell too much on past negative, it affects your imagination. It affects your soul. And you can't see clearly into the future because you're just dwelling on the past negative. Amen? Then there's a bias in terms of present stimulation. You know, there's some people where everything, all their decisions is just about what feels good now. So they never plan for the future. They forget everything about the past. I'm telling you, that will steal your destiny. Because if you make decisions just based on, so-and-so said this today to me, then I'll say, wait a minute, whatever someone says to you, is a snapshot, It's a snapshot of how that person is feeling right now, this very moment. Because they could be feeling different tomorrow, they could be feeling different on another day. Are you hearing me? So what's happening is this, if you focus on present stimulation and you've got too much of a bias there, it's not always healthy. You know those people who just live for the moment, they never plan for the future. However, there's also a place for it, isn't there? because sometimes people get so depressed because they're focused on the past, they're so caught up in the future, they're not actually enjoying the life stage they're at right now. Let me enjoy my kids this age instead of just wishing they were another age. Amen? Then we have what we call present fatalistic. And present fatalistic is the person who's just like, my current situation, I can't do anything about it, will let the powers that be just control my destiny. And those people often live a life where they're just feeling undue pressure because they don't know how to shape the current situation. It's like, I'll let life just happen to me. Then you have people who focus on future possibility. One day, this will happen, so I'm gonna set goals. And often that's quite healthy the healthy ones here by the way very often is future possibility but to extreme you become obsessed with the future obsessed with your dreams and goals and that you forget about just being content with what's happening now okay past positive is often sometimes quite healthy because you're grateful you're thankful god you took me through this think about it You have someone who has a bad experience and they're moaning and whining and someone else has an even worse experience and they come through and they say, sure, I shouldn't be here today. Oh, I'm so grateful. Yo, if you knew my life story, oh, you'll be shocked that I'm even alive today. That's healthy, isn't it? So when you look at these different biases, it's important to come up with a healthy balance and not an extreme, okay? So there's future possibility this is what the future holds this is what's possible then there's future danger and these are those individuals who are always anxious because they're just thinking what could go wrong what could go wrong what could go wrong the scripture tells us in the book of isaiah i'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me what does that mean our minds must be fixed on god the god who's the i am the God who was there in my past who's there right now and who will always be there I fixed my mind on him not in future danger this could go wrong that's how the insurance industry works hey do you know that this could go wrong and you know, I really don't want to say this it's not a nice thing to say but this could happen now there's a place for that but we're not thinking about that every day are we Then there's another dimension of the future, which is the future after life. I wanna ask you a question. Is the gospel stake on your plate while you wait for you? Or is the gospel pie in the sky when you die? Can you see that there are different types of Christians, eh? There's the type of Christian who's just focused on what happens after here. And so they're no earthly good. They don't believe in reformation and transforming society. Because it's like, let me just be a good moral being and God will reward me one day in heaven. That's also an extreme that's not healthy, hey? Then there are other Christians who are like, the gospel is steak on the plate while you wait. It has to all happen here. And they don't live from a place of eternity. With eternity in mind that says, you know what? There's certain rewards I'll only experience after I'm dead or after I've gone to be with Jesus Amen just look through those and ask yourself what is my time perspective is it healthy or is it unhealthy is it biblical or is it unbiblical the seventh dream killer or destiny thief is believing that others are way ahead I've been left behind Let me encourage you, run your own race. Run your own race. Just because others are ahead of you, you don't have to be where they are. And guys, this is such a common dream killer. I can't start now, you guys are way ahead of me. They're running a different race. So important, run your own race. Destiny thief number eight, underestimating the love of Jesus. I'm going to end with this destiny thief. Underestimating the love of Jesus. Let me give you some scriptures. John 15 verse 9. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus loves you and me with the same love that his father loved him. How did the father love Jesus? He conferred sonship upon Jesus. That is so powerful. He conferred sonship upon Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus said, in the same way that the father has loved me, so have I loved you. He also said when he was praying in John 17, Father, in the same way that you've sent me, so have I sent them. How was Jesus sent? says, the son of man came for this very purpose, to undo what the devil had done. So with regards to the love that Father God has for you, with regards to the sending that he sent you out, with regards to your chosenness, chosen by God, carry the love of Jesus. You see, you won't attain your dream in life if you don't believe God has loved you or has chosen you. You won't attain it. There will always be this thing at the back of your mind that, ah, this is for some other people, not for me. I see it happening, guys. I see people living in a place of shame and shame is linked to guilt and guilt attracts punishment. Whenever you feel guilty, you're expecting to be punished. So now God wants to bless you and lavish his love upon you. He gives you some good business deal and what happens? You sabotage that deal. Why? Because you're expecting some trick. You're expecting to be crooked. You're expecting to be conned because of your guilt. You see, when God forgives us, he forgives us, but the Bible tells us he also cleanses us from a guilty conscience. Some of you are carrying a guilty conscience and God wants to free you from that. He wants to free you from that guilty conscience. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God. How does God show us his love? He calls us children of God. Now watch this. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I like it in the NLT. It says, see how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. If you study wealth and wealth creation... One of the common denominators amongst wealthy people is that they have an understanding that there's a lot of wealth to be created out there. Right? And then here's the second thing. They believe they can have a piece of the pie. What I've noticed with a lot of Christians, they disqualify themselves. We call it self-deauthorization. They don't believe they can have a piece of the pie. They believe it belongs to some other people. I wanna encourage you, if you wanna make sure That your dreams become a reality. One of the biggest destiny thieves to destroy is a lack of understanding of the love of God in Jesus Christ. He's given you a piece of the pie. Say that to the person next to you, please. Next week, I'm going to begin to share with you the other steps in terms of accomplishing your dreams. And it's going to culminate in me showing you an example of how you can dream with God for your business and how you can dream with God for your family. I'm going to give you an example of a family mission statement, how you can really make your dream vivid in terms of family and also how you can get ideas in terms of business by dreaming with God. When you dream with God, you end up with supernatural ideas. How many of you want supernatural ideas from heaven? Because those always work. Those always work. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be operating in the natural. I cannot afford to be operating in the natural. I want to encourage you as you go out this week to kill your dream killers. To kill and destroy once and for all the thieves of your destiny. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.